0: Hello, everyone. My name is Sherry Rice, and I'm CEO of Access to Healthcare Network. Welcome to our podcast, Access to Health. Our goal is to bring you informative speakers from the healthcare industry to give you information that can help you make your healthcare decisions. Today, we are talking about health insurance, specifically the insurance that you can purchase through Silver State Health Insurance Exchange through Nevada HealthLink. And my guest is Heather Korbulik, Executive Director of Silver State Health Insurance Exchange. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. Happy to be here. It seems like a really appropriate time for you to come on the show and talk about it
1: because we have open enrollment starting very soon. When does it start? November 1st through December 15th. But even before then, on October 3rd, all of our plans are going to be on display. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, tell me a little bit about what somebody um,
0: who's already on... Uh, on HealthLink and has a product
1: through it, Mm -hmm. when you say they can see all the plans, explain a little about what you're talking about. Okay. Well, this year is pretty significant in terms of transitions and changes for the Nevada HealthLink. So for the last five years, we've used healthcare.gov for our eligibility and enrollment uh, and some of our consumer assistance functionality. And Nevada HealthLink is transitioning to a state-based exchange model, meaning that we're going to have all of our eligibility and um, enrollment functionality and technology in-state. So in doing that, um, all of our consumers' data has been migrated from healthcare.gov. So we've taken all of the data from healthcare.gov and we've populated our own technology platform with it. And starting on September 4th, we started inviting all of those returning consumers to claim their accounts. Um, And this has really been kind of minimally disruptive for our consumers, but it's been a huge undertaking and a really complex project for the exchange for the last year and a half or so.
0: And why did you decide to go from healthcare.gov back to your own
1: exchange? for a couple of different reasons. And first and foremost is that the rent was too high. Uh, So healthcare.gov was basically increasing the price to use and lease their services to a point where it was going to absorb every single penny from the revenue that we collect at the exchange to support our operations. Um, And so we started looking about three years ago at what does a fair market value look like for this technology? um, And who's got functional technology that's already out there and working? And so we found that we could save ourselves um, within the first biennium $4 million uh, and really have more of our own control over the market. One of the most difficult parts of working with healthcare.gov is that it's such a rigid and big system that it's not designed for any kind of innovative flexibility for a state. Um, And so being on our own state-based exchange is going to give us the opportunity to implement whatever policies we think is most appropriate for Nevadans. And it'll give us insight into who the consumers are in our state. For those of us that have been around for a while, I've I remember when we
0: first started yes, it was on painful, the exchange. Huh? <laughs> well, yeah, that would be a good word for it. Mm-hmm. It was um, it was very interesting when we first started this. Though I know there were lots of issues across the United States as everybody was trying to figure out how to implement this. But I remember it being particularly uncomfortable and painful and difficult for people when you had your you did it at the state level. Mm -hmm. So why would it be different this time?
1: Well, back in 2014, when we rolled out our technology and turned the systems on, you're right. Every other state had built their own systems. There was nothing demonstrated or uh, proven yet. Even healthcare.gov had its series of glitches. And that's because it just hadn't been worked out. And there wasn't a lot of time to put these systems together. So over the last five years, um, Mm -hmm. there are states that have functioning technology. They've figured out how this all works. And we required when we went out for RFP that the solution that proposed and would win our bid would be one that had successfully implemented their technology in at least one other state for at least one plan year. And the company that we went with, they're called Get Insured, and they have functional technology in six different states and were part of um, Nevada, or excuse me, Idaho's transition away from healthcare.gov several years ago. So I'm feeling pretty confident that it's going to be a much better experience experience. No big project is perfect, but it'll be a better experience. So lessons learned. Lessons. Vi- le- many, many lessons yeah, learned. Many lessons yes.
0: learned. So this time, and ha- since 20, was it 14? So we're talking about five years later. Yep. Um, it's much more stable. Yes. Uh, you've had people involved that have been involved for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like you really are consistently looking at ways to improve it for the consumer. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the consumers, because so many of them have been uninsured. Um, and I want to talk a little bit in a while about the people who are still uninsured. Okay. But we know that health insurance is extremely important. You and I know that. I think the majority of the population knows that. Uh, and without having health insurance, it can lead to disastrous debt for people. In Nevada, 22 percent of the population has medical debt and collections on their credit report. In an online survey of 400 Nevadans without insurance, 55 percent of respondents did not get sick or decline medical treatment out of fear of cost. 42 percent received a medical bill that was difficult to pay off and 40 percent of those surveyed said emergency care led to their medical debt. Mm -hmm. Now, You're in the business of that. I'm in the business of that Mm -hmm. at Access to Health Care. So we both know these stats, and we know that there's far more than these stats. But let's talk about why somebody would not sign up for the ACA and health insurance when they can. Explain to us a little bit about your sort of sliding
1: scale that you do and the amount of um, support that people get financially sure and it can it can sound pretty technical so i'll try to mix the technical with the non technical words here so in in the exchange world if you uh, if your income is in between 138 and 400 percent of the federal poverty level, which is, you know, who knows what the FPL even is really in, in out in, in uh, lay people terms. Basically, what that means is if your income is up to about $44,000 annually, you're, ba- you're going to probably be eligible for some subsidies on the exchange. And within that range between 138 and 400 percent, depending on where you fall, you get some ge- more generous subsidies, the lower you are, um, and it's just an algorithm that assists you with paying for premiums. So I think what happens is first people get subsidies to help with their monthly costs. But
0: that FPL is based on family size, right? right? So right. you're
1: you're giving us an
0: example of a single person, yes, uh, at the forty-four thousand and four hundred percent of the FPL.
1: Great. Yes, correct. Thank you. And and um and so for for individuals who are getting subsidies on the exchange, that's helping them pay for most of the time, depending on your income level, too. It's helping you pay for your premiums, maybe some of your out-of-pocket costs. But remember, there's still deductibles. You know, So there's still a lot of out-of-pocket costs affiliated with insurance that people don't really know about until they need to know about it. And that's usually not until you're at the doctor's office and they say, oh, you're going to have to pay for this entire appointment because you haven't met your deductible. Insurance is so complicated. The way that the United States has set up payment for insurance is incredibly complicated. And Nevada is not unique in that way. Um, You know, we don't have anything special. But I will say that one of the things that's been sort of interesting um, with the the Trump administration um, was that there was a repeal of the individual mandate. And the individual mandate is a penalty that um, people had to pay if they did not have uh, MEC coverage, minimum essential coverage. If you didn't have insurance, you basically had to pay a fee. That went away, and um, we did see some decreases in our enrollment that same year. Uh, And then there were other issues like the public charge rule and the threat and the chilling effects of a public charge rule that just scared people away from insurance. I think there's a combination factor of young, healthy people um, taking a risk, thinking, I don't want to pay for that. I probably won't need it. I'm going to risk it and go without it. Um, There's some people saying, there's no more penalty, I'm not going to do this. And there's other people who are genuinely fearful of taking any kind of subsidies from the federal government.
0: Let me go back to the uh, poverty level again, just Mm -hmm. a little bit. And let's dissect it just a little bit. Okay. Somebody at, say, 140% of the poverty level, Mm -hmm. uh, they make, if I remember correctly, somewhere around $1,100 a month. Mm -hmm. So that person then would come onto the exchange and they would get a subsidy. Mm -hmm. But they would still be responsible for co-pays and some monthly payment, possibly, Yep. and uh, they would need to meet a deductible. So somebody who makes $1,100 a month and perhaps uh, knows that they're not that healthy, that they will need to go to a provider, they're looking still at quite a few medical costs.
1: Yes, but uh, asterisks here. And I think that that's such a good example, of that unique individual. So, someone who's making what we said $1,100 a month um, is not only going to be eligible for subsidy premium assistance, but they're also going to be eligible for cost sharing reductions. And you don't, as a consumer, you don't even need to know that basically we can get you a plan. And over the last two years, we've been looking at plans that are subsidized that were. Nearly zero dollars. So people who were paying almost nothing for their insurance, who had very small payment responsibilities in terms of their co-pays and their deductibles because of their income range. So there are affordable options if you are making that much much uh, m- money annually or monthly.
0: And sometimes I wonder whether that is the message that isn't getting out yeah. to the people between 138% of the poverty level, which that is when Medicaid kicks in below mm-hmm. 138. So somebody uh, that makes 139 of the poverty level is making, you know, 1100 or maybe less a month. And they're having trouble just making their uh, payment on their rent and the... And, Uh, housing, food, et cetera, et cetera, some of the basic needs. So that message perhaps is not getting out as well as uh, we would like to the people at 138 of poverty up to about 200. Mm -hmm. Um, We deal in federal poverty level all the time at Access, so that's why I'm, I'm pretty familiar with it what happens to the people at 2250 mm-hmm. 300 mm-hmm. they're making more so their subsidy is less their copay mm-hmm. and then their deductible what we have noticed is that is a population that on a product on the ACA they struggle mm-hmm. and that they then either end up dropping their product or just never go on it am i correct on a mm-hmm. little bit of that assumption and when you get up to 400 or say 380 mm-hmm. of it at forty-four thousand dollars a year, and that's uh, before taxes. Mm-hmm. At forty-four thousand dollars a year, even for a single person, if they're paying, you know, one hundred and fifty, two hundred a month on their insurance, plus they have copays and they have deductible, now they're looking at a product and thinking, well, wait a minute and especially if they are reasonably young and healthy. Mm -hmm. Is that... Did I condense that for you?
1: No, I absolutely, totally, uh, 100% agree. And these are calculated risks that people are taking because of their, their hand that they have to deal with. And, I mean, it's absolutely something that we struggle with trying to help people understand that there are affordable options available to them. But let's also talk about how complicated our healthcare system is. Somebody having gone off or, you know, making a little bit more than um, uh, eligibility qualifications for Medicaid. So let's say they're at 139 percent of the federal poverty level now. They have to come to the exchange and navigate an entire different set of rules and responsibilities. And with that comes, you know, a burden. And for people who are working multiple jobs, which oftentimes these are people who have several different jobs. They've got lots of responsibilities. They don't have time to navigate and figure that stuff out. And sometimes I think it just falls to the wayside because it's just so complicated. But I want to say we are... We are working with people who can help make that easier, just so you know, at Nevada Health Link, okay. Who would that be? Uh, so we work with n- navigators all across the state. These are grantees that we work with in community agencies and organizations who can help connect people to plans and help them understand the benefits that are given to them. And we also work with brokers and agents all across the state. There's about 400 of them now. And those folks um, are um, going to help you find a plan that is right for your income.
0: And will they assist a the person after they're using the plan? Yes, so they can the call a navigator mm-hmm. and say, "I don't, I don't understand what yes. this copay was.
1: I don't understand how to be able to use this product." Not only will they help you understand how to use your product, but they will also help you when you're not getting your claims paid. For instance, those are your advocates. We absolutely recommend you work with an enrollment professional.
0: Well, you're. You're opening up a path for me that's interesting. I've uh, done two podcasts lately on Medicare for All mm-hmm. and one from somebody that was pro it and another one from an insurance company who was not totally positive about uh single-payer system. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they work for an insurance company. Let's talk about um, the ACA. Mm-hmm. You work with it every day. Mm-hmm. Tell me what, if you had a crystal ball or you had the power...
1: What would you change about the ACA? Oh, I love this conversation. I get to talk about it with anyone who will listen to me when I get to go to D.C. and talk with our delegates. And I have two primary drum-beating talking points about the Affordable Care Act, which is an imperfect beast just like every other big policy and needs attention and needs work and actually has, in my opinion, a really good foundation and infrastructure that's already been built to develop single-payer systems or whatever you want to from this Place. Well, that's what Vice
0: President Biden says.
1: Yeah, I, I heard that last night on the debates. So I did hear that. Um, yeah. So I, I guess what I my two main immediate solutions that would offer relief to an immense amount of people, first and foremost, is to take up the subsidy. Uh, range. So we talked about it going from 138 to 400% of the federal poverty level. Well, if, you, if you're 401%, what you see is a giant subsidy cliff. We are giving you no assistance, and you are responsible for the entirety of your monthly costs and out-of-pocket costs, right? So if you took that subsidy range up to, let's say, an arbitrary number of 600%, I think there have been some bills presenting that, right away, you're offering assistance to uh, so many... Any more Nevadans who could be eligible for subsidies and getting some assistance to pay for their insurance. Well, would you not only increase
0: the FPL, say up to 600, mm-hmm. would you increase the amount of subsidies? Because a lot of people have said
1: to me that at 399% of the FPL, the subsidy is minimal. It is. It is. And I think that's a worthy conversation. I mean, to me, it's like, let's fight one battle at a time, (laughs) Uh, because it will cost additional federal dollars to support um, taking that subsidy cap up to 600%. But yeah, we should talk about making subsidies more generous. I mean, the cost of health insurance isn't going down, and there's no forecast for it to go down. So I think we should talk about how to better assist people. Maybe that means also offering cost-sharing reductions, those pay assistance, assistance and deductible assistance, up to a higher FPL too. Right now, that cuts off at about 250 percent of federal poverty. Well, one of the things also is the rate up.
0: So the rate up on the ACA is, I believe, 55 and over on
1: age. Yes, you yeah. have the yeah. Okay, you're talking about the um, yeah the age ratio where mm-hmm. you can charge a little bit more depending on your age. Um, yeah. Right. So you take somebody who's 57 years old, and Mm -hmm. they're
0: at 150 of the poverty level, or say they're 250 of the poverty level, and you rate them up because of their age. Yep. So the two things that you can rate up for is smoking and age. age. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Someone can do something about the smoking. They can't do something about their age. Exactly, they? exactly. They're sort of stuck. Yeah, and there one.
1: isn't going any backwards on that, <laughs> so, unfortunately. So we put age into the same category <laughs>
0: we put smoking. Yeah. Well, I'm 70 years old, so I, I have a little issue with being put in the same category as smoking. Right. But, you know, we'll let's keep on moving,
1: Heather. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Nothing to see here. Yeah, yeah. Right I moving. mean,
1: there's all sorts of disparity going on here. But I, I, the other area that you and I kind of briefly had touched on earlier was that there is this thing called a family glitch. And the family glitch locks a lot of people out of um, getting assistance for covering. And I think that's partly why we're seeing an uninsured rate in Nevada that's still 10th in the nation. Um, and I think we have an opportunity to address that through federal rulemaking, if Congress wanted to sit down and do something that would actually help people, those are two solutions that would immediately help a well,
0: lot of people. Well, let's talk about
1: what that, what that glitch is. Okay. So I can give an, uh, a
0: great example, which I think you and I talked about. At Access to Healthcare, um, we pay between 85 and 100% of insurance for my staff. Now as an organization of over 50 people, I'm mandated to offer them insurance. I'm also mandated to offer insurance to their families, but I'm not mandated to pay anything for the families. So it costs me about 400 and $450,000 a year, cash out of our pocket to do my staff, which I'm more than happy to do. But what that says is I can't afford family. The minute I offer to one of my staff uh, a policy or a product for their family, now, they can't go on the AC and get subsidies. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, they are stuck. And that's the glitch we're talking about, and I agree with you. Uh, I think that is uh, unconscionable mm-hmm. because I see the struggle every single day. They they uh, cannot get on Medicaid, they make too much money. They still don't make a ton of money, but they make too much for Medicaid Nevada checkup for their children, and they're left either going uninsured for their children or paying for my product, which is far more expensive, and they don't get any help with it at all. Mm-hmm. So, I want to explain to anyone listening that's what we're talking about. It's as a beautiful the example. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I'm, and and I'm, a simple fix there is to just allow those folks subsidy assistance on the exchange. Right. Yeah. Right. It's not that complicated. Right. The the federal government is still saving
0: money because I'm paying for the staff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm doing my bit,
1: and. Uh, And yet the families are just left out there floundering. There's also an argument to be made. And I kind of, this maybe is a little wonky, but like, when you think about insurance, it's all about risk. And the better you can spread that risk, the more healthy and diverse you can make your risk pool, Uh, the better off the pricing is for everyone. So if we have a risk pool that's made up of only sick and older people who are going to continue to need to use their benefits, then... Insurance is going to cost more for that pool of people. But if we can risk mix that, put in more young, healthy people into that, then the prices go down for everyone. And so when when the individual mandate went away, um, we were really concerned about what that would do to the mix. Because if we take away these young, healthy people who are just going to go without because there's no penalty anymore, are we now going to only be insuring sick people who are going to then see prices go up? So. Did the mandate go away this last year? Yes. Yeah. So
0: have you done any analysis of what, what we've seen with the young and healthy in the
1: first year since the mandate's been gone? We haven't been able to really get down into that, to that level. We did see a decrease in our enrollment that I can't directly attribute to the mandate itself, the dip in the younger health or po- healthy population wasn't a significant one but again this was just based on open enrollment numbers so we have n- our numbers decrease all year that's a normal part of the exchange enrollment process people get enrolled they fall off they stop paying they mm-hmm. get termed they get a job so that that number typically goes down and I'll be interested to take a look when we get into 2020 at what happened in 2019 to that specific population well before we go on let's give the phone
0: number where someone could get some really good information Um, somebody what would you suggest for somebody that uh, that has never taken a product on the ACA someone who's been uninsured for a while Um, give them the phone number and let them know what they can expect when they call.
1: Okay. I I would absolutely first recommend you take a look at our NevadaHealthLink.com webpage. Um, A lot of good information there about what you might be eligible for and how to connect to enrollment professionals. You can also call 1-800-547-2927 and we will connect you automatically or through our call center representatives to an enrollment professional in your area who's going to be able to walk you through what benefits you might be eligible for, subsidies that might help you with your costs. So, I mean, to me, the number one drumbeat all through open enrollment is telling people, Get connected to a health enrollment or a health insurance enrollment professional. Do not try to do this by yourself. You can; it's possible. You can make good decisions and compare plans online, but you still want to know that you've got you've you know like you work with a tax professional because you want to make sure that you're you're getting all the deductibles you could get. Uh, and so that's why we recommend working with an enrollment professional.
0: And let me ask you about blended families mm-hmm. because Nevada is has lots of blended families. So. When I say blended families, I mean um, dad is uh, been in the United States, he was born in the United States, dad is legal, Uh, mom is not legal, children born, some born in the United States, and they're legal, some that aren't, some are dreamers, some have a green card. Mm -hmm. That's what we all call a blended family. Mm -hmm. When somebody
1: calls up, is there someone that can discuss the options for the blended families? Absolutely. Um, yeah. We. I mean, first, we have multiple different uh, languages available. And so we can find somebody who can either talk to you by in person or over the phone in whatever is your preferred language. But we also have, um, you know, some really good staff who understand the nuances of residency and what that means to you and your blended family. And Um, one of the requirements to be on the exchange to get subsidies and to be in a qualified health plan on the exchange is that you must have a legal status. Um, And so we can work with you to direct you, if you are not in that category, uh, to appropriate resources like access to healthcare network.
0: And do you have to have legal status for X amount of time? When we say legal status, what we mean is a green card. Right. Yes, same. Yeah. Yeah for X amount of time or anyone that has a green card. I would have to get back to you on this very
1: specific... Medicaid
0: has a certain number of years you have to have been on a green card. I don't know if you do. Yeah,
1: I know Medicaid's rules, but I don't know our own, so (laughs) that's slightly embarrassing. Sorry about that. (laughs) It's okay. I can't know everything, right? (laughs) Um,
0: So blended families are... Whoever gets on the phone or they get on the phone with a navigator Mm -hmm. will literally talk with them about the options for people that can't go on the exchange. Mm -hmm. That leads me to a conversation on the final rule that came out. Mm -hmm. And what we know is that there's a lot of blended families that are very anxious because of the final rule, Mm -hmm. especially blended families who are trying to get a green card Mm -hmm. and that it will be held against them if their children who are legal take food stamps Mm -hmm. or WIC or any of that. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about whether the
1: final rule affects anything at all on HealthLink? So the, the hard, fast answer is no. The the subsidies that come out of the exchange, um, whether they're advanced premium tax credit subsidies or cost-sharing reduction subsidies, those are all uh, not included in the public charge rule. So they won't be considered in your residency application or in your green card status evaluation. There is that the subsidies on the exchange are safe. Um, and so, but... You know, I think the, the, the part that we are really concerned about and working closely with our colleagues at Medicaid and the Division of Welfare and Supportive Services is really trying to help people understand that hard no that we just talked about and navigate um, uh, the, the, what what is available to them because there is a chilling effect. People are... You know, they don't know that subsidies on the exchange are carved out of this rule. They aren't included. And that's our job to try to communicate that to them. But the the, the the chill of being concerned about taking any federal dollar is real. And we have to figure out how to make sure that people who are like their children are legitimately eligible for CHIP subsidies Um, or CHIP program through Medicaid. We got to keep them in that. Those kids need that insurance. Those families need that peace of mind. And we've got to figure out how to message specifically to those folks and, and help give them that peace of mind. I'm glad you brought that up, because we're seeing at Access to healthcare. Care, uh, quite a few families
0: who are taking their children off of CHIP because of that very reason. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, the way things roll out sometimes just creates panic. Exactly. Um, because it's never rolled out in a way that um, really explains the repercussions.
1: Well, and it's very complicated. It is. Yeah, And bureaucracy Absolutely.
0: has a tendency, no matter who it is, to roll it out in a way that the average person just cannot comprehend. Mm-hmm. And then there's really no one to ask any questions to. So uh, I agree with you. I think uh, it's causing a great deal, mm-hmm. a great deal of concern. Let's talk a little bit about the products that are available. Again, open enrollment starts November first. Mm-hmm. I remember when open enrollment used to go for three days. months yeah. or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it felt like forever. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was yes. just, oh my goodness, do I remember that. Um, now it goes, what,
1: about uh, six weeks? It's 45 days. 45 yeah, so days. November 1st through mm-hmm. December 15th. Um, and we're and really excited to basically announce that that it's looking uh, and we'll have final contracts from our carriers on September 26th. Um, but it is looking like it's going to be a good year for the exchange. And I remember talking to you, Sherry, a, a few years ago when it looked like we were going to potentially have bear counties or counties that didn't have mm-hmm. any products for those rural residents to have access to. Um, and and we did find a solution to that. But now it's looking like we are going to have three qualified health care plan carriers across the state. Um, so every area, every county should have at least two choices. Urban areas will have three. Um, and to me, that's a success story about finding stability in this market. Um, It means that carriers understand the risk better associated with the the business of doing exchange enrollments and and activity. Um, It means that they're probably making money on this um, and that they're looking to really expand their footprint. The other good piece of news about open enrollment for 2020 is um, that the rate the proposed rate increases. So every year prior to the Affordable Care Act, on average, uh, the health insurance rates went up about 8%. On When the ACA came in, boy, that was a wild ride for a while. Uh, and, and that had everything to do with insurance companies ba- basically having to insure anybody who walked in their door. So rates went up pretty high during that initial couple of first years. And then the uncertainty that this administration introduced when they started talking about repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act and all that kind of drama that went on in 2017 and 18 uh, really kind of lent itself to even more extreme increases in rates. And that's when we saw the bear counties and that's when everything was sort of shaky and very tenuous. So uh, rate increases went up in 2017, I want to say by 38%. This year uh, for 2020, the rate increase, proposed rate increase is only a half of a percent. So that's another really good indicator of some stability in the Nevada market. And I'll just say one more thing that competition Really does improve our marketplace. Competition will allow for our carriers to have to work against each other in terms of pricing and customer service. So I'm really hopeful about what this is going to mean for us in the long game.
0: So let's talk about the rurals for a few minutes. Sure.
1: Um, Are the insurance companies allowed to charge more for uh, a rural product? So you are, um, when you're on the exchange, there are four different rating areas, and you're allowed to have different rates in those different areas. And in some of the rural areas, yes, the rates are higher. Um, And that has something to do with the access and the lack of providers. We all know the problems with rural health care. And so, yeah, carriers do. And how does that affect the consumer? It affects them by having higher costs. And, I mean, you it, you and I probably could talk for hours about how access to insurance does not mean access to health care. Right. Uh, and just because you have insurance and you live in, in Austin, Nevada, doesn't mean that, that it magically, you know, your specialist is available to you. Um, so really, the hardships for rural Nevadans who are not only paying for but trying to access care is is not something that I think we can solve in this podcast.
0: Yeah, it's it's very tough. And then you add transportation to it. Absolutely. Yeah, it yeah. becomes uh, very challenging. Mm-hmm. And then if you're over 55...
1: It gets even worse. And yeah. you better stop smoking. <laughs> you better stop smoking, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> so tell me how, um, how the exchange, how
1: HealthLink is financed. How do you finance your operation? Sure. So Nevada Health Link is a self-funded state agency. And we collect a gross uh, percentage of premiums that were collected on the exchange. So our carriers, all six dental and potentially three qualified health plan carriers, they get um, all these premiums from subsidies and all these premiums from our consumers. And we take 3.15% Of those premiums that they collect to generate revenue for our operations. And is it enough? It is. And we may be able, now that we're transitioning and saving our state money, we may eventually even be able to take that down a little bit, which should trickle to our consumers. That's great. How many staff? Yeah. Right now we have 14. We're growing slightly because of this transition, so we'll have a total of 23. And even with 23, we are the smallest and leanest and meanest machine uh, in all of the state-based exchanges across the country. Good for you. Thank
0: you. Good for you. That's that's good for us taxpayers to sure hear. Sure is. Yeah, <laughs> is. And what about some things that people need to watch out for? Um, I know there's mm-hmm. something called a skinny plan. Can you yeah. Can you give us sort of a brief education
1: on that? Sure. Um, So prior to the Affordable Care Act, uh, there were all sorts of different kind of products available to consumers that would allow them to, uh, or an insurance company, to rate you based on your health status, your age, your smoking, all those things. But they could say, hey, you've got chronic heart failure. We're not even going to insure you because that costs too much. Or we can charge you up the yin-yang and you will have to pay that amount. Um, the Affordable Care Act basically said, nope, you have to give everybody, you, my neighbor, whatever, regardless of your health status, the same opportunity for insurance in the same rate. Um, And so the Trump administration has sort of been chipping away at those rules in in a variety of different ways. And one of them is really by supporting what are called short-term limited duration plans. And these plans have existed in Nevada. And they have a very, you know, a utilitarian purpose, which is if you go off your insurance because you lost your job or you are transitioning from one job to another, you might want to buy a short-term plan that's really just to pay for, um, you know, like hospital stays emergency visit only. And um, they've been really encouraging the purchase of those again and sort of opening up and making available those plans. And Nevada state legislature tried to kind of put some blocks around that this last legislative session, which I'm appreciative of. But we do see an uptick in um, carriers selling those products, and we see consumers buying them. And you pay for what you get. And where does a consumer get stuck if they buy one of those? Yeah. You know, okay. Under the Affordable Care Act, you're required to offer 10 essential health benefits to anyone and everyone. And these plans do not have to cover those 10 essential health benefits. Most of them don't cover much more than emergency services. I saw a plan in Nebraska, I think it was, uh, that had a short-term plan that would only pay for hospital stays if they didn't happen on a Saturday. So there's just <laughs> a very like finite kind of nuanced yeah. things with these plans yeah. that make me nervous. You know, you wouldn't want to buy a short term plan if you ever expect to become pregnant. That's not a good idea. And can
0: they they can uh, refuse the plan
1: to you if you have a pre existing exactly. They yeah. can rate you yeah. based on your your yeah. existing conditions. Which yeah. is how it was for the ACA. We called those mini meds mm-hmm. for the ACA. Yeah. Yeah, everybody calls them something different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we are seeing that they, I mean, Nevada HealthLink has to market against them. So we have to basically challenge them in our search engine optimization plans that we buy. You know, when you Google search, we want right. to be first. We don't want consumers to get stuck in those when the opportunity to be in a qualified, comprehensive plan is available to them. And
0: what about association plans? Have they gained momentum?
1: Oh boy, association plans are like another. Another hour-long podcast, but yes, they, they did gain momentum in our state, but then the Department of Labor put out a rule that said that you can't do that anymore. And so our state division of insurance is working with Association Health Plan carriers to determine which of them can remain in existence now. So um, you know, they're they're required to honor the plans that they've offered originally, and these people are not gonna be without options, but um, they will no longer be able to be sold to sole proprietors or individuals. So individuals are going to have to work with Nevada HealthLink. We're happy to have you, help you to, here to help. Um, but really, it's uh, super complicated and kind of messy and so unnecessary, in my opinion. We, should, we didn't mm-hmm. even need to go down this path. Well, and people can buy off the exchange.
0: Mm-hmm. Can yeah. you explain that a little bit? Because if somebody um, can't qualify for the for the subsidies or somebody, say, a blended family, Mm -hmm. a blended family can still buy off the exchange, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, correct. So there are individual policy carriers, insurance companies like Hometown Health up here in northern Nevada, that are Uh, off exchange, meaning they don't have their products sold through our exchange. They don't uh, allow subsidies to be matched with those plans. But anybody can buy them, and um, they are available. And some people have found that those are more affordable if they're not subsidy eligible. Open enrollment starts soon, Mm -hmm. November 1.
0: And somebody needs to uh, sign up for a product during that time period. People who don't sign up for a product during that time period, can they sign up during the year?
1: No, with another asterisk, because there are reasons that you can, and they're called special enrollment periods. So like, let's say you uh, lose access to your employer-sponsored coverage, you may be eligible for a special enrollment. Um, If you get married, you may be eligible for a special enrollment period. There's all different qualifying life events. And if you lose your insurance, you can. Yes, yes, absolutely. So NevadaHealthLink.com has a lot of good information about special enrollment periods if you're interested mm-hmm. in enrolling outside of the open enrollment period.
0: But somebody who suddenly is diagnosed with cancer, if they don't have a qualifying life event, can't just apply
1: for a product. No, and that's by design. Yeah. 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 I understand. Yeah.
0: I think, uh, I think a lot of people wish that you know it's buyers or non-buyers remorse we mm-hmm. would call it non-buyers remorse yeah. yes yeah. and
1: what a bad way to learn a lesson I there i know yeah.
0: i know it's it's a complicated issue
1: yeah absolutely it truly
0: is for someone to make a decision so what else do we want to tell people um, who are listening we we've talked about the sort of the precautions they need to look at uh, is there
1: anything more you want to tell us about the new call center that you put together you know, we are really excited just about our whole package of being able to be Nevada specific. Um, before, if you were calling the call center, you were calling 1-800-healthcare.gov, basically. And we are really hoping to meet and exceed the service that they were providing. And so, you know, I'm interested in feedback. We want to do this right. We don't We don't pretend to think we're perfect. And we don't pretend to think that this is going to be the most perfect rollout. So feedback is welcome. And we're being transparent and open. And please get in touch with us if you think that we could do something And better.
0: where would they give that feedback? How could they get a hold of you, Heather? Because you, you, you certainly...
1: Uh, you can email me. <laughs> I'm not going to give you my direct line on the on podcast here, But you can email me at hcorbulic, K-O-R-B-U-L-I-C, at exchange.nv.gov. Okay. Well, let's go to
0: wrap this up, all the information that we want to give somebody so they can be well-informed. Uh, the phone numbers, the uh, website that they can go to,
1: and uh, any last remarks that you want to tell somebody. I'll just, again, uh, call out NevadaHealthLink.com as a really wonderful resource for you. Um, And starting October 3rd, uh, you're going to be able to look at all of the plans and take a look at what's going to be available. If you're a returning customer, you can even put the plan you want in your shopping cart and hold on to it till November 1st and then make that purchase on November 1st. Um let's yeah. let's go into a little sure. bit of detail with that. If you already have a product, you can start
0: shopping on October 3rd. Well, you can take a look. Yeah. You can take Windows a look shop is what we're And then it. when could you put it in the in the cart? Uh, effective October 3rd. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But they have to go back in on November 1st. On November 1st. Let's get real clear on that. Somebody's not going to do it for them. They have to go back in then just like you would and
1: and yes. do the shopping cart. But you could also work with an enrollment professional and they can make that help you make those purchases and remember to do that and we would have really encourage you to get connected to one. You can find information about them on our website at NevadaHealthLink.com or by calling 1-800-547-2927. Now, somebody who's who's never been on HealthLink before, they would call that number, they would get a navigator? They would get an IVR system. So it's not, you're not talking to a person right away. And if you indicate that you want help with an enrollment professional, we'll connect you one. And that will go to your call center? Yep. And do you have bilingual people on your call center? We do.
0: Yep. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Fabulous. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just so proud of what HealthLink has done in the state of Nevada. Thank how you. far you've come. Thanks. Uh, for those of us who remember the first year, uh, <laughs> let's hope, knock on wood, yeah. that we do a little bit better of a job. Oh, this year, I we'll have see. no doubt at all <laughs> that you will do a better job, especially with you at the helm. So, thank you. Uh, you've done a fabulous job. Um, it's so. It's such a service for Nevadans, we know how important health insurance is. But the thing that I that I love to hear you say is that you also understand that it's not perfect, mm-hmm. that there are things that need to be done, and that for some people it, it still is expensive for them. Yeah, um, we totally understand. Yeah, and that if we could change that, we would. Mm-hmm. So one more time, if you
1: don't mind, if you give that phone number and um, – The website? Sure. 1-800-547-2927 is our phone number, and NevadaHealthLink.com is our website.
0: Okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We've been talking about health insurance, specifically the insurance that you can purchase through Silver State Health Insurance Exchange through Nevada Health Link. My guest has been Heather Korbulik, Executive Director of Silver State Health Insurance Exchange. I want to thank you for being on. Uh, Heather has given the number quite a few times, but if you... Um, if you don't catch it, you can certainly call Access to Healthcare Network or look on our website. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For a list of future podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org podcast.